to have you. Do me a favor, get your Bible out, turn with me to Nehemiah. Uh, we're going to pick up in chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, it's probably one in a chair in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. Okay, we'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, uh, especially if you'll read it on a regular basis. Okay, uh, I'm going to do a couple things at once here. Uh, so first of all, on the way in this morning, you should have gotten a small little card like this called a Reach 3, okay? If you don't have one, and you won't be the only one, so don't be afraid to raise your hand, I want you to have one. And we're gonna, I'm going to end with this this morning. I want to make sure everyone has one, everyone has one out, have a pen ready. So if you don't have one, raise your hand, okay? And the ushers will bring it by, okay? Keep them high. They're coming. Uh, you're not the only one, and they're going to get that to you. Okay, secondly... Get your note sheet out. While the ushers are handing out that card, get your note sheet out. Okay, so we're now in the middle of the first week of our eight-week series in Nehemiah, and it's also a small group season. So how do you prepare for a small group? You take notes, okay? We do sermon-based small groups. You show up, find one that fits your schedule. You show up um, and take notes. Fill in the blanks, of course, but maybe there's something else that sticks out to you. Write that down as well. And, uh, and then all of that gets you ready for your small group. And we're going to discuss the text, the sermon, and we're going to apply it uh, a little more specifically uh, to our lives. I really love that song, and, and probably it's a favorite of yours too. And I really love the lines in there that remind us that God is working even when it doesn't seem like it. Right, so maybe you came in this morning and it was a rough week, and you're like, "Man, all of my life seems like in chaos." Uh, we don't worship a God of chaos, okay? We worship a God of order, and yes, we live in a sinful and a broken world. And in that brokenness, God, by His grace and mercy, is still bringing things back together. So even in your chaos, He's working together for good, right? Romans eight tells us that, right? All things for those who are in Christ, He's working all things together for good. And so he's working, so don't lose heart. And I hope that those uh, lyrics remind you of that this morning. Um, If I said the word kingdom of God, you know, what does that mean to you, right? What does the word kingdom of God mean to you this morning? And really the series, uh, Nehemiah, is going to be pointing us to the kingdom of God. So I want to give you some handles this morning uh, before I dive in, all right? The kingdom of God is spread in the hearts of men and women through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, so if you're new to Coastal or you're checking out Coastal, here's what we're built on. We're built on the cornerstone of Christ and the message of Christ, which is this. You have sinned against God. I have sinned against God. Our God creator is holy. What we deserve is the wrath of God. But because God is gracious and merciful, he intervened with his greatest gift. Uh, Jesus Christ, who the Son of God who took on flesh. He died a substitutionary death on the cross in your place and in my place. And he took God's wrath for your sin and my sin on himself instead of it being poured out on you and I. And then they took his lifeless body and placed it in a grave. And if that was the end of the story, just be a martyr story. But instead, Jesus Christ vanquished our final enemy, which is death, And he stepped out of his own grave, verifying that he was who he said he was and was going to do what he said he was going to do. And so the good news of the gospel is you can be reconnected with your creator 
It's been, that connection has been broken because of sin, but you can be re- reconnected through Jesus Christ when you turn from your sin, believe in who Jesus is and receive him into your life and have him transform you from the inside out. We call that the good news, okay? Everybody with me? And when that happens, the kingdom of God is spread in the hearts of mankind, one person at a time, through a new heart being given through Christ. And this church is the most powerful story on the planet. Amen? Which means we're a part of it. And it's spread through local churches. I really, really believe that. Like we are, as we gather together and pull our time, talent, and treasure together, we are the method both individually and corporately as we serve together, uh, exalting this kingdom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got bad news for you. That was the funnest part of my sermon, okay? Like it's, it's going to be weighty today, all right? So buckle up. Here we go. Uh, Nehemiah is a history book. It's in the redemptive history of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is all a sign point, a post pointing to Christ, okay? And so I'm going to give you where Nehemiah falls in redemptive history, but I want to talk about history of this local church because I really, really believe, as I just got you excited about the gospel message and its power and its importance for the kingdom, God's hand has been with this church in ways that you some of will probably never know fully until our faith becomes sight. But there's a lot of new faces here, and I really want you to understand that this message today is going to call you to be uncomfortable and to risk, because that is why we've been left here on the planet. As Christians, the reason we don't become Christians and God just takes us to heaven. We're not here to just get through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. We are here to risk so that the gospel goes forward. Everybody with me? And this, this church has been birthed on groups of people willing to make those risks and make those sacrifices so that the gospel continues to go forward. I said last week, like, you know, church in America is dying, but Coastal's got six growing campuses. Why is it? I think some of the things we're going to talk about in the coming weeks is the reason. Because we have a group of people who say, man, I'm serious-minded about what God's called us to do. I'm serious-minded about the kingdom of God, and I'm willing to risk to make it happen. So in 2002, this church was started when two very small churches said, you know what? We think we can do more for the kingdom of God together than apart. Because you're renting a building, and they're renting a building, and maybe if we merge together to start Coastal, we can can do more for Christ and for the kingdom. And that first year of attendance under Coastal Church, we averaged about 180 people. We met in Grafton High School, and I just want, some of y'all will never know, like, the risk of that. Man, it was, we didn't know each, these churches didn't know each other, you know, new pastor to half the church, new pastor to the other half of the church. Man, it, was, it took a lot of humility for that to work. How many of y'all were a part of that risk? Raise your hand. Good, good. It's great to see a lot of people. Uh, there's more in the church. They are now distributed through six campuses, all right? Um, then 
In 2005, this church bought its first piece of land. The land is not the church. The building is not the church. But we wanted to build a gospel outpost in Yorktown. Anybody remember, you got to be old now, anybody remember what was happening in the land prices in 2004, 2005? It was like 2020, man. They were going through the roof. We thought we'd never get a piece of land, but God had saved us an affordable piece of land right next to, well, it's no longer Pops. I used to say across from Pops. All York County people went, oh, okay, so, you know, oh, it's not that anymore, but it's right next to the Harley-Davidson dealership. We bought our first piece of land in 2005, and then we prayed, and we decided to build in 2008 and nine. Anybody remember what happened was 2008 and nine? One of the greatest recessions ever, right? And we're like, man, we're never going to build this building, but God was with us. And by that time, this church had grown to influence about 300 souls regularly for the gospel of Christ. And once we opened that building in 2010, in just a couple years, this church went to almost 1,000 people influenced for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we praise God for that. And then God made this Kroger building available, and we risked to get here. I mean, it was a risk. Time, talent, and treasure, all of it, right? And, and then we saw God continue to allow the church to have influence for the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then a couple years after moving here, we decided to venture into something we'd never tried before, but something we'd been praying about. We launched our first cl- campus in Gloucester. How many of y'all remember that, right? And we sent. And so, you know, you're trying to build your community and build your church. And at the same time, we're sending. And guess what Gloucester's doing today? They're having their grand opening in their new building. And Amazing, right? Praise be to God. That was 2018. A year later, God did something totally new that we kind of off the radar and unexpected. We adopted our first campus. Anybody remember the church we adopted? Anybody remember? Deer Park Baptist. We adopted, we revitalized, and we sent some people, right? And they're healthy and strong. And then we replanted them. And now it's called Deer Park Fellowship. And out of that, came this thing of adoption. The church, the word got out. Churches started coming to us and, and saying, hey, why don't you think about adopting us? And then we adopted our first campus uh, the, oh, far away from here, right, where we actually couldn't send people. And we adopted a campus in Chesapeake. And this was a risk. They actually had a mortgage on their property. And you guys know, and I shared that vision. We voted together. We adopted them. And time, talent, and treasure went up to, to Chesapeake. We adopted them. And they had about 50 or 60 people coming on Sunday morning. And last week, I think it had 220. They had their all-time high in children's ministry. Can you even imagine that? Just incredible what the Lord is doing. Then we God allowed us to adopt Hampton Roads Baptist Church, right? And so now we have Coastal Hampton. And then last year we adopted uh, Battery Park in Smithfield. And, and I'm going to talk about that in a little while. And then yes, this year, well, just a couple weeks ago, we launched our first another campus in Williamsburg, and they're having their grand opening today. And this is the history of Coastal, and it's been risk and it's been risk and it's been risk and it's been risk. And we do that because we want to see the kingdom of God go forward in the hearts of men through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's where we're going. And so in the New Testament, as we pivot, as we look at redemptive history, which I'm going to tell you about here in just a second, I'll move quickly through the whole, I'm going to give you the whole Bible and this is all intro. Okay. So this morning, so I'm going to give you the whole Bible in a few minutes. In the New Testament, we've, the kingdom of God spreads through the great commissioning that Christ has given us to take the gospel of Jesus to all nations. So with that, Nehemiah, okay, is an Old Testament uh, text, okay? So by the way, um, most scholars believe Ezra 
and Nehemiah were one letter together, one book together. We separate them in the English Bible, which is fine, but you can read them together. I want you to be reading Nehemiah at least one chapter a week through the next eight weeks, okay? And so in Nehemiah, you're going to see the kingdom of God through an Old Testament lens that I'm going to be taking and shoving it through the New Testament lens. So we understand at church, we're not, Nehemiah was trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem we're not going to Jerusalem to rebuild walls. Everybody with me? Uh, and so let me take you through that journey, okay? Redemptive history starts with Adam and Eve. They sin, right? And so God pegs a nation to begin the process of sharing the works of God to all nations. And he raises up a guy, but what's the guy's name? And he says, hey, I want you to go to land. I'm going to show you. Anybody know? Abraham, right? Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless all the nations through you, Abraham. Abraham's family grows. All of Genesis is about this imperfect family that God is using. Any imperfect people here? Okay, a couple of you, right? So guess what? God still uses imperfect people to spread the kingdom of God. So that's good news, right? So Genesis is real twisted and weird, and we're supposed to read that and go, I'm twisted and weird. I guess God can use me, okay? So uh, it's that kind of thing. And so all the way to Joseph, Joseph saves his family in Egypt because there's a great famine, and then the nation of Israel incubates in Egypt, okay, until they become a great nation, and then God raises up a prophet by the name of who? Moses. And he said, Moses leads the people to the promised land and God establishes this nation. And then in Deuteronomy 28, God says, listen, if you follow me, I'm going to bless you. If you don't follow me, I'm going to send you into exile. Okay. And that's all in Deuteronomy chapter 28. The problem is they can't follow God. Why can't they follow God? They need a new heart. See how all of this points to the New Testament, right? The whole purpose of the Old Testament is I can't keep the rules. I I got a problem. You know, I've got a sin problem. And so they don't keep the rules. God sends them into exile. And then the prophet Jeremiah says, hey, guess what? The time of the exile is over. I'm going to send you back to the promised land and you're going to rebuild and it's going to be better than it was. And God raises up a new king. Does anybody know the new king that he raises up and promises to bless their socks off? This is a, some of you, I've never done a parent-child dedication with this name, okay? Anybody know it? Zerubbabel, all right? When are y'all going to name your, your kids Zerubbabel, okay? Like, I just want to do that parent-child dedication. So Zerubbabel. And so he promises all these really cool things to Zerubbabel, but it doesn't happen. And that's where Ezra and Nehemiah come in. Like, why isn't it happening, God? You said it was going to happen. And God says, it's because the people's hearts have not been changed. And so now, instead of being in exile for 70 years, I'm going to send you to exile for 70 times seven years. And then that's Daniel chapter nine, by the way. And then something great's going to happen. And what happens 490 years after Daniel? Anybody? Jesus lands on the planet, right? And it's the beginning of the last act of God. But when Jesus comes, he says, listen, I'm now going to do what the Old Testament was supposed to point to, a shadow of things to come. Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, I'm now through Christ and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to rip out your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh because really what you need to follow God is to be transformed from the inside out. Isn't that good news? 
And that's the message of what God is doing in the New Testament. And so Nehemiah gives us some great pointers and lessons. It's not, we're not looking to rebuild a wall, but it gives us some great pointers and lessons about the vision that God has given us as New Testament believers in a local church, okay, to fulfill the commissioning that Christ has given us so that the kingdom of God will spread. Everybody with me? So that's overview. I will move real quickly and get you out of here on time, okay? I promise. So here we go. Point number one, I want you to glean from Nehemiah this morning, is a vision begins by defining reality. So if we're really going to know where we're going, we have to understand where we are. And so we see this in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 and 3. Now, it happened in the month of Shizlev. I don't know what month that is, okay? In the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, this is one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had served in exile. So let me pause here, okay? So God promises through Zerubbabel that things will happen, that I'm going to restore Israel to his glory if they'll follow me. Nehemiah is in Persia. He's serving the Persian king. The king's name is Artaxerxes. Okay, let's pick back up here. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and survived in the exile concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are on fire. Okay, so it starts with, if you're going to have a vision for the things of the Lord, it starts with, things aren't good, Nehemiah. Things are not great. Listen, you can't see God do something great till you really understand the reality of your situation. A lot of people don't come to Christ because they don't want to first admit they're sinners. Like, it, it comes with, a, following God comes with, this is where it really is. A lot of churches, the reason they can't get out of their own way, the, one of the, there's a lot of reasons why I think the church in America di- is dying. But one of the reasons is churches have a hard time defining reality. Things aren't good right now. What do we got to do? Like, what do we really have to do to make them better? Yes. I just started the sermon with, man, we got the greatest message in the whole world. We have the most powerful message in the whole world. I talked to you about this last week. The message of Jesus Christ housed in local churches is way more powerful than the president of the United States. Okay? So if that's true, then as churches, we should be figuring out how can we thrive for the gospel to go forward for hearts to be changed. And Nehemiah, when he hears that God had made these promises, they're not happening, like he is grieved. And he says, God, I got to do something about this. I really believe that the reason the kingdom is not, of God is not thriving in our culture like we like to starts with us as Christians. That's why 1 John, we went through the summer. John says, what, don't love the world or the things of the world. The reason we're not taking risks for the gospel is because we love the world. Some of you, when I, when I talk about giving, you, you want to give, but man, you're, you've mounded up so much debt in loving the world because you have to have the newer, bigger, shinier, faster, or whatever, and get ahead of God's timing that now you're not in a position to give. And by the way, if that's you, let, let us know on a tear-off because we have some people that would love to help you climb out of that so that you can know the freedom of not having debt. We would love that for you. Listen, we don't, we don't change the message of the gospel, but to have a vision starts with defining reality. 
And so upon hearing this news of where Jerusalem is, and it just grieves Nehemiah, number two, he begins to develop a heart for the kingdom. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued in the fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I'm going to do something weird today, so I'm going to prep you for the weirdness, okay? We're going to finish the sermon today by praying the Lord's Prayer together, all of us together. And in the middle of that prayer, Jesus taught us to pray. We all will pray together. We pray this. We've all said it. We pray this together. Your kingdom come, your what? On earth as it is in heaven. That's a heart for the kingdom. It's, it's defining reality and looking at the sinful brokenness of the world and going, God's will isn't quite come yet and grieving that. Grieving the grossness of corporate sin and things like human trafficking. Listen, uh, the, the gospel starts one heart at a time, but man, we, we grieve over the brokenness. But even more than that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you to think beyond even just this earth. I want you to think about eternity for a minute. Now, here's what gets real weighty. At Coastal, we believe that the Bible teaches that every human being that walks the planet will live and exist for eternity somewhere. We believe that every human being will exist in eternity if they bow a knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ while on this planet and confess Him as Lord, receive the good news of the gospel, will spend eternity in heaven forever and ever and ever. But those that do not receive the gospel will spend eternity separated from God and His goodness and under the active punishment of God and His holy character, punishing sin and rejection of the incredible gift He's given us in Jesus. Okay, you ready? I'm going I'm to ask you to show your hands. How many of y'all believe that to be true? Oof, that's a lot of people. Let that sink in for a minute. The Bible teaches that every person that you interact with tomorrow is going to exist somewhere for all of eternity. Now, now I'm going I'm to go from preaching to meddling. If you really believe that, would you act different tomorrow? I probably would too. What, what, what if we as Christians took that seriously? Like, what if we understand the kingdom of God doesn't just have earthly implications, but has eternal implications? I bet... I bet at minimum we would pray more for people. Yes? At minimum. I, I, bet, 
I bet we'd see the offering differently. Listen, I know that lost people think that when they come to our church, they're always asking for money. But, but man, as a Christian, we should say, no, this is pulling our treasure so the gospel can go forward, so the people can hear about Jesus. I bet we would think about our church serving time differently. When you're greeting, I bet you in a, in a room this size, with movie, I bet you there's someone that came to church for a first time in a long, long time. By the way, I'm thrilled that you're here, but I'm talking to the Christians today, okay? But that would make, man, your greeting, your parking ministry, children's check-in, serving their children, like it really makes you see it in a different light. I bet you when you went to the restaurant this week and the server was terrible, you think, I ain't getting a 15% tip, 25% recommended. I doubt it. <laughs> I bet you'd think about that person differently. I was telling the worship team I was out with a couple years ago, Pastor Andrew. Uh, we were in Florida at a conference, and his, and his brother, who's also a pastor, in Florida, and we were out of the restaurant, and this sir, waitress came up who's serving us, and Pastor Andrew's brother David said, uh, hey, we're getting ready to pray and thank God for the food. Can we pray for you? And this server broke down in tears, right? And we were able to hear this, where they were and pray for this girl and just ask the Lord to intervene. Like, if we begin to see every person as they need to be connected to their creator and eternity is at stake, how differently would we interact? And with, when confronted with reality... Nehemiah does four things. Here, I'm going to go through them quickly, but you guys have already felt the weight of it. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. When was the last time you did that for someone? When was the last time you wept on your face before God praying for someone? When was the last time you fasted for someone? Right, I'm going to give you a little challenge, a little, little, just a little church challenge. What if over the next eight weeks, all of us, and I'm going to give you a tool to do this, took a lunch break, and instead of eating during that lunch break, we fasted and we prayed for some people that don't know Jesus. We defined, like, this is Reality. And we are asking for the kingdom of God to come. And we prayed. And so Nehemiah, number three, there's always prayer before vision. This prayer of Nehemiah is, and next to vision, you can even put the word action. There's always prayer before action. And we don't just sit around. When God calls us to do something, we don't just sit around. In fact, I, you know, I, I think a lot of churches get stuck like just going, they don't ever move and they just, they default to, we're just going to pray about it. And we need to pray. But there's an action that comes, but there's prayer before action. We need to ask the Lord's mighty hand to move. And this prayer of Nehemiah has some theological depth to it. Letter A, it appeals to God's character. Nehemiah 1.5, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. In other words, he's, he's ultimately, he's, he's daring God. God, I need you to keep your promises. 
One of the reasons I think that God's, and we're going to, Nehemiah uses this language in just a minute, God's mighty hand has been with us as a church is we have kept at the forefront the commissioning of Christ. We've got to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does anybody know what the great commission in Matthew 28, what it starts with? A lot of people say go. You ready? And I would would have said that too, but actually it starts with Jesus saying, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So guess what? When a church or an individual says, I'm willing to go, the power of God is with them. Amen? That's why when Nehemiah starts his prayer, he says, listen, God, if you ain't with us, we're lost. I'm going to remind you of as if God, God doesn't need reminding, but he says, I'm going to remind you who you are and what you're capable of. And he says in letter B, he says, and he confesses his sin. Good news for you and I. God still uses sinners to complete his work. Isn't that great news? He could do it another way. He doesn't need you. He invites us. And so Nehemiah says, let your ear be attentive, your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I know now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you. And we have not kept the commandments and the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. He's defining his own reality. God, I'm broken, I'm sinned. There's a heart posture of humility. He's reminding himself through prayer. I asked you guys this question last week. Who deserves hell? Everybody. Who deserves heaven? Nobody. God, you've been gracious to me, and now I'm asking you to be gracious to others. Letter C reminds God of his promises in his word, Nehemiah 1. Remember the word that you commanded, your servant Moses, saying, if you are, sorry, if you, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcast are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. He's humbly reminding God, God, at the end of the day, if you don't fix a heart, it can't be fixed. We need you to work, oh God. And then letter D says, I'm asking you, God, for your mighty hand to move. Verse 10 of Nehemiah 1. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. By the way, okay, in the great commission that Christ has given us, that he invites us to be a part of, to go make disciples of all nations, I've got really, really good news for you. You don't change a person's heart. That is the work of God. Isn't that good news? Because I always tell people, like, I mean, you know, like, I'll, someone comes to me afterwards, like, hey, I got a loved one. They're, they got cancer. They're dying. Could you pray for them? And I say, hey, they didn't need Jesus. I don't know. Well, guess what? I'm, you're now on mission. Praise God, they're not dead yet. You can go talk to them. And pray off the gospel. Well, I don't know. What if I mess it up? You can't mess it up. God does the saving work. You're just the hands and feet. Ephesians 1. What's Ephesians 1 teach us about mankind? We are what? 
dead in sins. What can you do with a dead man? Nothing. Resurrect him, right? That's why if a person's going to become a Christian, John chapter 3, what has to happen? Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're what? Born again. That's the miracle that only God does. But we get to be a part of it. And so Nehemiah's praying, God, I want to see your name be great, but you got to do what only you can do. And so that, God, at the end of it, we get to worship you for your marvelous and great work that only you can do, God. The fact that we get to be a part of it is incredible. But you don't need us, but man, God, if you would choose to use us, which then, after this really incredible, most, one of the most God-centric prayers I've ever, that I think are recorded for us in the Scripture, Nehemiah prays a really, really bold request. Let me, I'm going to caution you. Don't pray this prayer unless you're serious. And so point number four, Nehemiah says, God, sacrificially use me. If I can be of service, Isaiah says, you know, here am I, God, send me. Nehemiah 1.11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of man. Now, I was the cupbearer. Why does he say that? So he's praying, he's asking for God to grant him success that he might have a moment with King Artaxerxes to talk to the king about where the state of Jerusalem is. And he's the cupbearer. Now, for those of you who don't know what a cupbearer is, the cupbearer in Old Testament times was someone who would keep an eye on the wine and make sure wine was not poisoned, because that would be a common way to try to kill a king in Old Testament times. And so the cupbearer would either taste the wine or smell the wine, make sure wines weren't poisoned. This is really uh, the first sommelier we see in the Bible. Um, only the non-Baptists laugh, because Baptists are like, what does that even mean? I don't even know, right? Like, so, um, but, that, it, but listen, guys, this was an incredible position. Like, if you want to get through life, safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. This is the position. You're the cupbearer, man. You get, to, you get to live in the palace. You get to rub shoulders with all the international dignitaries. You, 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 as, as great of all the things, of the blessings that a culture could give, this is it. And the last thing you do is go in and ask the king for resources for your old country, who, by the way, in Ezra chapter 4, King Artaxerxes already said, stop building. Nehemiah says, I am willing to risk for the kingdom of God to go forward. I, uh, this past week, man, we were up at the ribbon cutting in uh, Gloucester, which was amazing. And um, I had one of our church members who's been with Coastal Church for a long, long time. And they said, they were so thrilled with what God was doing in Gloucester, now part of the Gloucester campus. And they just said, um, I remember the first building we built and you did a fundraiser and what you you and the leadership of Coastal asked for us to give. And we prayed and we sacrificially gave. And I thought, I will never do that again. And then I did it again. And then I did it again. And then I did it again. I didn't ask this. I wish I had, but I already knew the answer. 
Did God provide for you every single time? Every single time. Nehemiah took a risk. Letter A, he asked for favor in his relationship with the king. I'm going to make a big ask. We'll see that in chapter 2. Letter B, he was willing to risk his earthly position. He sacrificed. He knew he could lose his job. Now, in the coming weeks, I'm going to whet your appetite. I'm going to share some, a little bit of vision for Coastal Church. Okay, you ready? All biblical vision comes with the idea that we may part with some earthly comforts to see heavenly reward. Let me say that again. All biblical vision comes with the idea that we may part with some earthly comforts to see heavenly reward. Amen? It requires to move with the Lord as the Lord is moving. It requires a an eternal perspective. Nehemiah said, I'm willing to risk to see God's name be made famous. Trusting, 1 Corinthians 15, that since Jesus rose from the dead, I can be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that my labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why is it not in vain? Because Jesus is alive again, and God sees and God rewards. Amen? And so here's what I want to do this morning. Here's my challenge. I'm going to invite the worship team out. Worship team, you guys can come on out. If you've been with Coastal for a long time, uh, you probably have one of these. This is something I bring out every couple years um, just to remind us. So everybody get your card out, get your pen out, and get your Reach 3 card out. I'm going, I'm going to challenge us for now um, to pray. And by the way, if you're looking for times besides just privately to pray, we pray at noon on Wednesday here in the prayer chapel for God to move. We pray at 6.30 Saturday night for God to move. We do 24 hours of prayer the seventh of every month. We try to cover the whole day in prayer, taking, asking people to take an hour and pray. We need to be praying that God would move. I would encourage you not to pray unless you're also willing to risk. Um, every time we adopt a campus, it's a risk. I'm just telling you, it's a risk. It, it's a risk behind the scenes, organizationally, man. There's a lot that goes into it. I feel the weight of it. As your pastor, man, I, it's the risk of sending. Some of you have friends that have left your community of faith to go to another campus. Some of you probably sit here and go, man, why does Coastal keep doing that? 
when I'm feeling the weight of it and I'm whining to my wife, she bears a lot of Sean Brown whine. Okay, so, and I'm whining to her and she'll be like, why do you keep doing it? Battery Park is doing a baptism this morning for the first time in over a decade. Hampton Roads is regular, Hampton Roads Baptist, that's now Coastal Hampton, had one of its highest attendance ever last week. They're running between th- around 30 kids every week. This is a church that didn't have kids for decades, and they're now hearing about Jesus. At the end of this vision are real people that we want to see the kingdom of God spread in their hearts, and I want you to be a part of it. And so here's what I want you to do today. Today we're just going to pray. So get your pen out. I want you to write down three names. That's what this card is for. Three names that to your knowledge, they don't know Jesus. A neighbor, a child, a family member, a place where you interact and do business, a workplace person. And I want you to pray. I just want you to take the next eight weeks and begin to pray. Maybe weep. Maybe mourn. Maybe fast. Maybe ask the Lord, God, what do I need to sacrifice? Maybe the sacrifice is take them out for coffee and talk to them about Jesus. I don't know how to do that. Hey, listen, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're disconnected from God. Here's the gospel message. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus bodily rose from the grave. And if you repent, believe, and receive, you can have a new life with Jesus. Whew, you just shared the gospel. I'll close with this prayer. I'll close with this story and then we'll pray. Two Sunday nights ago was our night of prayer. This blew me away. By the way, as you're praying for these people, here's what's going to happen. You ready? You start praying for your neighbor, your neighbor's going to show up at your end of your driveway one day. And it's going to be very inconvenient, bad timing. And you're going to be like, man, I've been praying for you. It's weird that you're here. You've been praying for your lost child. You know, the one that never calls. And then out of the blue, they call. What's that? That's weird. I've been praying for them. Last week, we did our baptism and our night of prayer. Two of the people that got baptized said, I got invited to the Christmas Eve service and God started doing something. And so you're going to pray, and you're going to pray, God, at the very very least, I want to invite them to Christmas Eve. You're like, Christmas is not that far away, okay? 120 shopping days or whatever. Start praying and look for those opportunities. Amen, church?
Let's be the hands and feet of the gospel and the kingdom of God as we go out of here this week. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity. We want to see the name of Christ be praised. God, we're going to be praying. God, we're going to be praying also asking, like, we're willing to risk. And Father, we're going to go out of here praying this morning as Jesus taught us to pray. Let's pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine, O God, is the kingdom and the power the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I can tell you right now, church, as you're praying for these folks, God is working in their lives right now. Even when you don't see it, God is working. Anticipate your role to play.